0: This is the Video Jumpyard Podcast. We're here. A place that appeals to your deepest and darkest fantasies. It's alive. It's alive. It's alive. The dead who've haunted souls hunt the living. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all part of Bubblegum. Well, hello.
1: this nightmare world emerges a fearsome half man, half ape, with the strength of 20 demons. It's time.
0: And welcome back to another episode of the Video Junkyard Podcast. This is Joe Peterson, and with me as always, Eric O'Branson. Eric, how you doing?
1: Good. Hey, everybody. Hey, Joe. How is it going? Pretty good. Uh, Did you guys survive Halloween? We did. We actually had a blast. It was... uh... The first Halloween that the, you know, we got to dress the kids up and take them out trick-or-treating, and they even though we did a little bit of that last year, this year they actually, you know, uh, were aware of what was going on around sure, them you know, yeah. people were giving them candy and they actually, you know, carry the little Halloween buckets up and their oh, uh, cool. costumes were great, they were uh, Little Red R- Riding Hood and the Big Bad Wolf, so. Oh, although, that's perfect. Um, Ewan, my, my son Ewan called himself the big nice wolf. He didn't want to be bad, and uh, oh. <laughs> and uh, Arlo called herself the little red girl, which is uh, it's pretty close for a one and, close. one and a half year old. Yeah, so.
0: absolutely. Yeah, no, we, uh, yeah, we, our kids did a huge haul. I couldn't believe it, and um, and I, I thought I was going to be clever. I stayed home and, and handed out candy this year, and I thought I was going to be really clever, and because you're always going to get a little bit of leftover candy if you over plan. Yeah, and I right. thought, okay, well, I'm going to take all the Reese's Peanut Butter Cups and hide them uh, at the bottom of the bowl. And uh, that way, at the end of the night, I'd have all these leftovers and be the candy that I want. Since the kids, they have their own candy. <laughs> they went out and worked for it. I'm working for this. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the plan was a success and ultimately a failure at the same time because I woke up the next morning with the worst goddamn stomach ache. Oh, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I really overdid it on the... It's like, oh, don't put that in front of me because I know I'm just going to invade the whole space right there so yeah absolutely. But, uh yeah so i'm i'm now tempted with all of this candy around me which maybe it was for my own good that i probably should be eating it anyway you know? yeah well in our um in our case you know our kids are
1: just under two years old right now that'll be two in december but basically any candy that they got is essentially our candy like they you know if they're really lucky they might get an entire one entire little piece of candy a day at this point so Uh, oh (laughs) yeah so our whole like they both almost they both almost filled one of those little pumpkin buckets of candy up and uh yeah that's uh so we're having a good time you know cleaning
0: all that up for them i'm sure my uh well you got to check it you know you you got to check it and sometimes that means you got to taste it and eat the whole thing so. Right. You know, <laughs> eat all of it, pretty much. Pretty much, yeah. Well, I mean, I always go through my, like, jawbreakers. You don't want those. Milk dots Yeah, you don't want those either. Uh, you know, all, all the candy I like, I take. Yeah. So you just Oh, yeah, you um, can't have those yet, though. You're really...
1: <laughs> Anyway. So, yes. I mean, basically what we got out of we had a lot of fun. Just to actually threw out our jack-o'-lanterns tonight. They finally... Took a turn for the worse. We were lighting them until started looking like old today. men. <laughs> so yeah, exactly. Yeah. So unfortunately, for you know this household, Halloween is officially over now. So
0: wow, <laughs> yeah. Well, and you know, so we're we're you know moving on to the next season here too. We we took all the Halloween stuff down and put out some kind of Thanksgiving fall oriented things. So, but you know, I think it's also kind of cool. You know, we we, we did our our big Halloween special, which I've heard some really good things about. Uh, you know, we we covered three Halloween themed movies and uh you know you heard
1: good things it was good i I I did yeah i should check it out one
0: of these days (laughs) yeah a couple a few of our regular listeners both of you um (laughs) said good things about it so that's nice to hear but Thank you, know, you everybody. And else. actually, Just in, being in a planning, listener, so. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And in planning this, of course, you know, let's let's change of seasons, uh, change of of holidays, and a change of pace for the kind of movies that we're going to be talking about tonight too. With yet another really really forced segue to what we're going to be talking about for movies tonight. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> we've been, been working we've been...
1: that clock like it gets ten seconds or 12, ten seconds to five minutes in, and you're you're getting us right to right on topic so
0: i'm i'm really quite proud of this actually so i just do you by the way but (laughs) thanks (laughs) but you know this is actually the two films that we're going to be talking about this week and next week are uh ones that we've we've kind of mentioned before uh we're, we're going back to doing you know theme things again and the theme this week is quentin tarantino but and next week but a little bit different right right yeah we decided
1: instead of doing um one of the more popular or um you know actually and i'm going to step back from that because both of these films were very popular and they own are right um so um, instead of saying popular i'm going to say instead of doing um a thing on quentin tarantino like as a filmmaker or a career retrospective or you know doing all of the films that he's directed decided to kind of take a slice out of his early career and do the couple of films um early on that he wrote or screenplays that he sold yes um i believe if all my reading is correct that he actually sold both of these screenplays in uh in fundraising to actually make reservoir dogs thus kind of kick-starting his career so these two films even though he didn't get the chance to direct them himself uh probably have just as much to do with him being you know the phenomenon or you know kind of big shot director that he is today so um right maybe these are the two films that are to blame obviously he he pulled it off and he made his own he made Reservoir Dogs and um as they
0: say it's uh you know history but um
1: yeah so we decided to take a look at the the, neat
0: thing here that yeah yeah just that that these were films that really got him on the map right um you know like like you said Reservoir Dogs came out it wasn't a huge success financially but critically it was but I think by the time uh this film came out this this first one we're going to talk about. he was becoming a household name. They actually kind of used a little bit of his connection to this, the fact that he wrote it as some marketing um if I'm not mistaken. So it, it's uh you know we're gonna talk about Tarantino written films but directed by other people and if you' if you've seen all or most of Tarantino's films and then you've seen these two, you can't help but feel that same vibe. It's the the uh, the soul of it is there. I think, regardless Mm -hmm. of how different directors handle the material. Yes, Um, I think definitely so in the film we're going to talk about tonight. Yeah. So, without further ado, uh, the film that we're going to be talking about this evening is the written by Quentin Tarantino, directed by Tony Scott, 1993 American romantic crime film, True Romance.
1: From the director of Top Gun
0: and Beverly Hills Cop 2...
1: a married man, buddy. <laughs> a con man. Ask him if he got the letter. Did you get the letter? What letter? Hey, you. Oh, no time. Tell him we gotta go. A call girl. Did you call Far Day? Huh? <laughs> I'm out of Is
0: she a four alarm fire or what? She seems very nice.
1: What are you doing in LA anyway? huh? And a suitcase full of trouble. <laughs> My name is Vincent Kokotty. I work as counsel for Mr. Blue Lou Boyle, the man your son stole from. Now, all that stands between them and their wildest dreams. Find out who this swinging a prayer artist is and take him off at the neck. Are 60 cops, <laughs> 40 agents. He's a wild man, is kid Clarence. I like him. 30 mobsters. I haven't killed anybody since 1984. And a few thousand bullets. We're all gonna die here. These are cops. Put it down! Put it down! Put it down! down. Christian Slater, Patricia Arquette, Dennis Harper, Val Kilmer, Gary Oldman, Brad Pitt. Christopher Walken. Slow it down, man. In a Tony Scott film. I think what you did, I think what you did was so romantic. Not since Bonnie and Clyde have two people been so good at being bad. True romance.
0: What a cast in
1: this it's no kidding it's like one of my (laughs) first notes because i was you know just reading the names off as they were coming at me in the opening credits and i was like holy cow like everybody in this movie or everybody the entire cast like 12 15 names deep are all like these a-list or at least you know recognizable household name actors which is incredible i mean i i know at the time this was a kind of before a lot of these people really really either became kind of the cult actor or the status actors that they were going to become but but also many of them were right in the middle of their game including you know the two stars of the film i think were mm-hmm. at their peak uh when this came
0: out and um, yeah and one of the supporting not even supporting i mean it's more of a glorified cameo brad pitt's character right as essentially <laughs> yeah. the, the the roommate on the couch the stoner um guy he on was the couch, actually yeah, yeah guy that he was essentially already like brad pitt was becoming a big star by this point so it was kind of odd that he's in this for a few scenes you know <laughs> right. this kind of throwaway character a very amusing character yeah i assumed he but, did this as some sort of a i don't know the
1: story behind it, I'm just assuming because of the kind of bit role nature of it that he did this as either either friends of his were involved in the production or just kind of as a um, favor to somebody somewhere but yeah and i guess a lot uh, of also his... i'm sure it was a bit of a, a kind of a fun role yeah. to play
0: but... oh yeah i guess from what i've read he ad-libbed most of his performance in this
1: Wish. speaking of lloyd the guy on the couch in true romance this is a story i was gonna say for later if i ever got it in but just because mm-hmm. you brought up lloyd mm-hmm. uh brad pitt's character in the movie did you know that judd apatow based the idea or the idea of the movie pineapple express that yes. was to come later it was actually entirely based on a reaction that he had to this character um right Brad Pitt's character Lloyd is pretty much a do nothing room, roommate of um oh Michael, Michael Rappaport's character. character yeah don't remember his name um, at the moment but um basically he's yeah, the stereotypical dick, yeah. stoner guy on the couch you know loser roommate doesn't have a job um Judd Apatow thought it would be a really funny movie to see you know, had had Lloyd actually had a bigger role in this movie, and to see him out, kind of running away from the bad guys and fighting off the gangsters and everything, and that that idea kind of grew into, into Pineapple Express. Express. <laughs> which once you once you know that, <laughs> you totally
0: can see that that's oh, that absolutely, of... yeah. I mean, there's a lot of cool connections. I mean, it's it's a Tarantino thing as well. Like a lot of his movies have these neat little connections to them, and and we'll talk some more about connections with. Uh, this and next week's film uh, a little bit more but uh, let me give a a quick plot of 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 this essentially um, uh, to to just kind of summarize it not reading off anything necessarily but you've got uh, christian slater plays uh, a a kind of a guy who works at a comic shop and he's obsessed with kung fu movies and elvis and he's hanging out at a theater one night he meets alabama whitman who is or alabama who's a a call girl uh, at the theater and they have this instant Connection instantly fall in love and then kind of trying to start their life together. These two misfits trying to start things over together. All of the issues they run into essentially involve stealing a, a shit ton of cocaine and running from the <laughs> mob and uh, just I, I don't want to say hilarity ensues because it's a it's a, it's a really heavy film, um, but it's also it does have some elements of dark comedy. It's it's a typical kind of thing Quentin Tarantino would write because it's right. got those those weird uncomfortable humorous scenes um but just some some really great performances and i think what's what's neat about this and we you mentioned this a little bit too you know that there's all of the, this huge cast for this film and it's some of the minor characters supporting cast mm-hmm. that almost outshine or at least they're somewhat more memorable i mean for example and, and just to kind of jump right into it christian slater and patricia arquette's performances are really really great but yeah, if you I, ask most people what you think about true romance, they're going to bring up Gary Oldman's character, yeah. Drexel, the pimp.
1: Well, and I think ask most people about true romance, and they're going to talk about the Walk and Hopper scene, which we'll get to later, oh, yeah. the uh, Sicilian yeah. scene, as people call it, in screenwriting classes, because, by the way, that is used as an example scene in screenwriting classes at this oh, point. Yeah. So, um, but yes, the uh, supporting cast is just as good as the starring cast like I, by, my second note here is uh samuel L. jackson obviously goes on from <laughs> this point to become like this mega star but shows up in like this movie for about two minutes has about four lines all about eating pussy and uh it gets blown away yeah There's sam jackson i mean how did he you got to hand it to the guy that he persevered and became the just he's a phenomenal actor and he's just such a I I obviously don't know Samuel Jackson myself, but um, is supposedly just a consummate professional and gentleman. It's funny that this is kind of like the role that he kind of got stereotyped into and even to this day still kind of gets pigeonholed into all the time. So, yeah, like I could see him walking into a movie and saying these same four lines
0: right now today see, as i, well, I could so. see him walking into a mcdonald's and saying these four lines it's just he <laughs> he, he really kind of well, you're right he kind of embodies these characters into a very natural way but it is cool it's always cool to go back and, and watch an older film like this that has supporting roles of you know they, oh that was how do they say like oh that was when they were a face and now they're a name so to speak you know like mm-hmm. I, I don't think people knew his name at that point they recognized his face from other small parts like this he was doing a lot right. of these little parts um and when i say that when i say he comes in
1: you know talking about eating pussy that's with quotes around it by the way i'm not just that's not slang for anything it's no, just literally no, that's what he's actually like about in the a movie. scene from the movie where yeah, yeah, that's not, what he's talking about so. that's, that's <laughs> not you just being colloquial that's <laughs> right, actually exactly yeah but
0: yeah. um yeah so michael rapaport in this as well as uh as kind of a supporting character but a little bit bigger one um i mean it's just it's one of the few movies um
1: my i've seen michael Rappaport in and that i just absolutely that i can actually like put up with him being on screen for more than a few minutes but oh, i know you're, you was could good. probably yeah. <laughs> uh what's that Zebrahead was good oh and i've yeah. not seen it that's yeah, it's uh, really good when i yeah. should see but
0: yeah, I'd, I mean, this also has that same kind of Tarantino film feel to it, even though he didn't direct it, by not only having essentially a lot of cameos of, of bigger name stars, but also taking actors that maybe weren't as, you know, that, that essentially had, had hit stardom years before, and not that they necessarily weren't working anymore. But weren't doing as many things, you know. For example, what he did with John Travolta in *Pulp Fiction* to kind of relaunch the guy's career, right? Yes, absolutely. Um, I would say that just casting Christopher Walken and Dennis Hopper in this movie—I mean, those are two actors that had done I mean, huge films before this, cr- and they're—I mean, ter- Christopher Walken has a, a very short scene in this, essentially one scene in this movie.
1: Yeah. Well, cor- and correct me if I'm wrong here. There maybe there's some other something that I'm. Uh, not thinking of but to your knowledge or in your opinion this is this is really the linchpin right this is Christopher Walken's rebirth at this point like after this film he or at least after this era I'm not sure like what Mm -hmm. exactly contemporary he's doing right at this moment but I think like he had been in a lot of films in the late 70s early 80s had uh, as a young man had been a leading actor had kind of faded off into the background and I think Honestly, I want to say it's probably this role that kind of gives him that push forward, and then all of a sudden he, you know, he becomes this like almost, almost in like every movie supporting actor type of person for a while. Like pretty much throughout the rest of the '90s and even into the early 2000s, he's you know literally popping up in everything from. You know crime dramas and stuff to you know freaking
0: Joe Dirt and whatever, <laughs> like. Yeah, well, I mean, so this this came out in '93. You know, Christopher right. Walken had been in Batman Returns. There's our DC reference for the week. Um, you know, <laughs> right. uh, as Max Shrek, I think just a year or two before. That's um, right. Yeah, um, but that but is, even uh, even with Tim Burton's casting, yeah, two, and even with Tim two. Burton's casting right. of him in this, it feel it felt or Tim Burton's casting of him in that it felt a little bit more cartoonish because it was a bit more of a cartoonish film. Yeah, oh, um, yeah totally. But this had that more of a, of a... Again, I know Tarantino didn't direct this, but it almost had more of a feel when when Tarantino pulls one of these actors from years before and puts him in his movie, it's like, no, goddammit, you're good, and you're going to fucking show everybody how good you can be. That's my really bad Tarantino impersonation. <laughs> um, yeah. But that's kind of what, what he does. It's what he did with John Travolta. I mean, there's that famous story about how he cast John Travolta in Pulp Fiction, where he invited Travolta over to his apartment and they played um, (laughs) board games. I think it was like Mystery Date or no, the Saturday Night Fever board game. I was going to say, I
1: think he made him play, yeah, at least it was definitely a board game. Yeah was a movie that John Travolta had been in for
0: sure and and then it's the he, version of the story that I've heard right so. and then he he for like an hour chewed out John Travolta for being such a good actor and just wasting his fucking talent by not doing any more movies and I want to cast <laughs> you in this movie so you're gonna be in my movie and Travolta was just like yeah okay and so they yeah. they, they did it um and yeah. then i heard some rumor that the apartment tarantino was staying at travolta actually used to live in that apartment before and i don't know how true that is. i don't know but that's yeah the story I, I think i've, I've heard. heard
1: that story too and i again yeah i have no idea if that's a true story or not but um, it's also one of those i don't care if it's true or not because that's a really right. good story <laughs> so i think an interesting thing to talk about about true romance is and, and really both of the films that we're going to talk about that Tarantino wrote and did not direct. Is Tarantino, as a director, or as a filmmaker, is such a unique filmmaker? Is such a stylist? Is uh, mm-hmm. it's it's pretty much like right off the, right off the bat. Like you could just look at like one scene or one, a couple of moments from one of his films, and it's you know so obviously one of his films. Um, mm-hmm. do you feel like True Romance and being not directed by Quentin Tarantino still had that? instant like recognizability could you take a snip out of true romance and you know identify it that way like a- if absolutely
0: with... absolutely and that's one of the things I really loved about this as somebody who's also seen all of Tarantino's stuff um, which I, I should mention too that I'm I'm a fan but I'm not a fanatic I mean there's mm-hmm. Tarantino films I don't care for um, that I thought were pretty weak but then there's ones that I really really loved um, yeah enough where I'll go back and watch his new stuff but NCAA. That all being said, I think that this does have a have his feel to it, and I think that's really interesting because, like, I get into polite arguments with people about Tim Burton all the time, where it's like, yes, that's his style, but I kind of just maybe I just don't like it that much because I think it's a little overdone and it overshadows uh, performances of people in, and it overshadows the story. His style is just kind of like the forefront of everything. I yes. feel like I know what you're, you're saying there's other, yeah, I disagree other... with you and I'll argue about it later, but yes, yes I get what you're saying. <laughs> but I think there's um and that's common with a lot of directors, right? There's directors mm. that have styles. You can check a director's style. I think true romance shows that Tarantino's style isn't in his directing, it's in his writing.
1: Yes. Well I, I would say it's certainly strong in both, but I think his writing is, is... Like, I think you could put two people on a blank stage and read me a scene out of one of Tarantino's scripts and I could peg it as a Tarantino scene. Exactly. Um, exactly. So, yeah, so I think the writing's very unique. He has the ability to write a scene, and let's go ahead and talk about the yeah. Christopher Walken, Dennis Hopper, Sicilian scene. Yeah. Um, he has the ability to write these scenes that don't really feature anything except for a couple of people talking to each other, but for some reason can build tension like to the yeah. point of like, you know, you wire tight tension. Like it's yeah. just, um, and like really no other writer. There's some other writers that can do that a bit, but the, just the way that he can use conversation or use, um, situational. It's almost like I wish he, yeah. you, you know, had written a stage play at some point because I think, um,
0: um well i'd I'd like to see that like he could uh, he
1: could do that all in one room in fact if you've seen his most recent film the hateful eight it essentially is
0: that but we'll
1: talk about that if we ever get a chance
0: to but yeah um, i i I, I agree but i can't think of many other screenplay writers that have that have this much style where you can tell by the way that i mean maybe kevin smith but no tarantino's kind of i mean characters all even for
1: lack of a better word he writes characters that are just too fucking cool like everybody's like saying the right thing at the right time they all got this like um
0: i don't know it's well it's how you i know it annoys the hell out
1: of some people honestly
0: but you you always enter in, in in a tarantino story you always and, enter in with a character in the middle of a really passionate, interesting conversation. Yeah. That's a common thing and that you if see. If you've in ever those. watched even like a minute
1: or two of interview footage with the man himself, that is who Quentin Tarantino is. He's pretty much writing himself into everybody he puts on screen. They all have passion for the same things he has passion for. Or at least if they don't, they have knowledge of it. Um, <laughs> so, which is cool. Right. I mean, it's he's a, he's a movie fanatic that wrote movies for movie fanatics essentially that's why some people just don't get into it because they're just not into the same stuff i yeah, don't think that yeah. that is driving him and pushing him into the kind of art that he makes for example right off the bat is the the main character clarence Worley and and uh patricia arquette's character alabama in this movie meet at a you know triple feature of the street fighter Sonny Chiba street fighter movies um not really where you know most uh protagonists in 90s films are going they're not going to kung fu movies at sleazy theater you know midnight showings yeah. at sleazy theaters and uh they don't work in comic book stores and um I think Clarence Worley as a character is the one time I've heard Quentin Tarant- Tarantino actually say that that character himself was a bit autobiographical
0: mm-hmm. yeah.
1: and that he basically just literally wrote himself into that movie so um and I can see that in a lot of ways he he's very well known yeah. that he was working in a essentially in a
0: video store. When... Yeah, it's become like legend at this point. Yeah, that yeah. He, he he and this other group of people worked in video stores and they would watch movies all night and mm-hmm. a lot of those ideas went into into his stories, right? Right, the things that yeah, he was and... seeing, he would that's why you you always see these great references to old kung fu movies or westerns or you know, scenes where... The, a lot of... His, I realized, too, a lot of his tension scenes like you were talking about, mm. they're they're unique to his style, but those kind of tension scenes really go back to, like, the old gangster films. Oh,
1: yeah. I mean, it's... You it's,
0: know, like the James Cagney kind of stuff, that that's what they were aiming for back then, was to build that kind of tension, and maybe it was effective in those times, but and the I, way Tarantino's doing it is incredibly effective.
1: I don't want to sell him short because I don't agree with a lot of people's criticism that he's just a copycat artist, because he definitely brings a unique vision to everything but he is you know he's he's perhaps the this weird thing happened in the 90s where we start we always use the phrase meta right and what we're talking about is this
0: like kind of story in a story self-aware yeah so yeah.
1: there's a point in in cinema or at least popular cinema in the 90s I think where things became very self-aware like it was okay to reference that a movie was a movie or to talk about movies in the movie and uh, he was he was at the forefront of that um yeah movement i think i mean you, you mentioned kevin smith earlier kevin smith is definitely another person that was very much in that into that mm-hmm. in fact he wrote an entire you know his first entire script is about is about guys sitting around talking about movies so it's like <laughs> yeah um much yeah So like they're, we're they're, doing
0: right now <laughs> exactly
1: so if somebody was filming us doing this right now only you know writing better dialogue for us that we we might be in a movie like from that era and, and that boys and girls is meta as fuck <laughs> right. May, maybe we are. Who knows? No, anyway. But no, um, I,
0: I, I get what you mean, though. It's like, that's really when this all kind of got started. And he he's carried it on. It's like every one of his films, in a way, kind of does that. It, yeah, it's very they all, pop culture. There's a lot right. of pop culture in his stuff. And they're but full it's of
1: winks and nods to other movie fans, especially people. Like, he gets a kick out of when he puts an obscure movie reference in somewhere. And that three people in the theater that have actually seen some of those obscure 60s and 70s cult films that he's you know grew up watching um i mean i think that's that's probably the biggest thrill he's getting out of making movies (laughs) honestly (laughs) like yeah um, and that's i mean because i know i would you know i would be that way i i have in our you know in the couple of times we worked together on film projects Mm -hmm. i know we were always putting stupid little nods to this and that in everything we were doing yeah i I think i don't
0: I think then we got that from stuff like this. Oh, um, of course, yeah. You know, and I don't think we were looking back. It's like, you know, here's a here's a thing of a guy with a knife. Let's put the movie Psycho in the background. It was like, yeah, it was a little <laughs> ham fisted, but you know, <laughs> oh no shit, the, the spirit was there. <laughs> you know? Wow. Yeah. And, uh, spoiler for right. some people, but uh, right. yeah, and I think there's, the, I, I keep going back to to the the Sicilian scene because it's so Oh, yeah, sorry, we started so on that. so powerful. That, yeah. uh, yep. But I, I also don't want to... I, I don't want to not mention or go into a little bit more detail about Gary Oldman's performance, because it's... Oh, yeah. ...so transformative, and I think this is one of the first times that people really saw Gary Oldman as this really amazing method actor. I mean, that he's up I, there with Daniel Day-Lewis and Lon Chaney as far as transforming himself for roles. I mean, I
1: in a lot of ways, he's he's... I'm not going to say he surpasses those two people. Those two people are obviously legends and and equal of being men. But I think Gary Oldman's definitely equal of being mentioned with them. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure he gets the roles anymore as an older actor that, you know, really push him to do those sort of things. But I remember seeing him. Especially in this era. So we're talking early 90s, early to mid 90s. I remember seeing him in a lot of movies, you know, Dracula being one, and then mm-hmm. uh, this movie. And you could not, the uh, fifth element as well, um, yeah. you could not convince somebody if you were to close your eyes and listen or, you know, even somehow turn some like facial recognition issue off. And, and so you don't have to, you know, you can't pick up that it's Gary Oldman just based on his face. Yeah. Um, Otherwise, they are totally transformed. I mean, these are like totally different people. It's just, it's amazing. Is really what I'm trying to say. (laughs) Well, Um and 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 knowing he can transform into some, you know, totally
0: different, yeah, person. I uh, the fact that he made this a year after he made Bram Stoker's Dracula, which in that movie he's playing two totally different types of characters with young versus old Dracula. Not to not to even mention the, the monster versions. Mm-hmm. but um like the the wolf bat and all that but apparently the, the uh the prosthetics they used on the Drexel character with he's got these long dreadlocks and he's got a, a big scar down his face and, and a dead eye apparently the dead eye and that scar stuff as if that was a, the those were leftover prosthetics from Dracula Oh, really that they just said oh I'll use it on there and the other kind of funny bit of trivia i learned about this was that um Gary Oldman had his mother on set every day during true romance that he was filming because he wanted to get her opinion of his performance after every take <laughs> just weird kind of shit like that but this character is, is so strange and actually you know you, you mentioned fifth element which again not a, a fan a film I'm a big fan of but he was so bizarre and out there in that and it oh, was great yeah. um I think you put like that the, just comparing those three that we mentioned yeah.
1: you know Dracula Drexel and uh, I forget the name of the character in the fifth element but mm-hmm. those three characters just so um, distinctly different from one another is I think it's honestly rare and you don't you, you, I know a lot there's there's big name actors and I don't want to sell any of these people short they that, that get a lot of credit for doing that sort of thing your Johnny Depps and your mm-hmm. um, Christian Bale and some some people that are really into to method or the um. And I think Gary Oldman just kind of outdoes him effortlessly. Effortlessly, yeah. le- my gosh, I can't talk tonight. But but I, um, I'd actually
0: one more I'd throw into that list, and which is when he kind of started to slow down from doing that would have been um, Mason Verger in the movie Hannibal. Oh right, I forgot. Where, which I mean, which is like the only interesting thing about that film, in my opinion. Yeah, but, I,
1: I remember thinking his performance is just it's it's disturbing and, and yeah. everything it should have
0: been um but not he's literally movie, but. he's like under two inches of, of wax the entire film yeah. um but and then you know even what he what he was doing with the the christian bale uh christopher nolan batman films as, as jim gordon he was very very good in that but it was a character from this very popular well-known source material with the comic books and stuff so yeah that's or still serious black different. in the harry potter films and, right um, right you know
1: all, all right. very good performances but yeah it, so it, they were very much more in the vein of you know the real gary oldman and there wasn't this like kind of you know man of a thousand faces to steal on cheney's nickname but yeah
0: um but I mean, yeah watch him in this and and remind yourself that a year before he was doing a, a bad romanian accent well not not <laughs> yes. that bad i mean we'll we'll leave the bad accents to uh, keanu reeves in that film oh yeah um
1: I mean, that 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 film is a mishmash of mm-hmm. terrible accents all around but anyway
0: but yeah um, so his his performance as drexel spiv even though he's only on on screen for a few minutes there i mean that's one of the cool things about true romance is there's a couple scenes are of the building tension there's the scene with with christian slater and gary oldman there's the scene with patricia arquette and james gandolfini yeah um yeah you know, there's and then of course as we've been mentioning before, the the Dennis Hopper Christopher Walken scene. There's um, even to a in lesser a lot, degree, but it's funny, the Bronson Pinochet and like, you know, the Chris roller coaster Penn and scene. Tom
1: Sizemore. Oh, the roller coaster. I was thinking the when he's got the wire on him and kinda of them talking to the cops oh, through yeah. uh, which are uh, Chris Penn and Tom Sizemore both play cops in this movie. Almost everyone on screen is somebody you're going to recognize from somewhere even if you don't know the name like it just seems like they i mean maybe it's because the this was the era that we grew up in and definitely the era where i was watching the most movies um but yeah just everybody's everybody's a a somebody in this film so um so let's talk a few seconds (laughs) about i guess we keep we keep alluding to the sicilian scene um talk a few seconds about that before we run totally out Mm -hmm. of time here like there's like 20 other things we could bring up about this movie but um so that scene is why is it a masterwork and why is it something that's used to teach screenwriting or shown in film classes now um and i think it's because it's an early example of what we were talking about earlier is it's just a brilliantly written conversation where you know that the stakes are like so high for this conversation, right? You know that this is a very dangerous person and you know that the stakes for Dennis Hopper's character is this guy's going to off you if you say the wrong thing. Right. Um, but that the, the conversation is so well conversational and kind of almost jovial, uh, throughout most of the exchange, especially when Dennis Hopper gets into the, um, history. Yeah. The history lesson, the, (laughs) so, Mm -hmm. um, how do you feel, and this is kind of a tough question, but I think enough criticism's been um, leveled at Quentin Tarantino for it, but how do you feel about his use of language, especially racial slurs, the N-word, um, things like that? Because he gets a lot of flack about writing
0: that into yeah. script. Well, I guess first and foremost, you know, uh, this white guy's uh feelings on another white guy writing (laughs) racial slurs and movies i mean probably amount to a whole lot of nothing but hey (laughs) for what it's worth, yeah for what it's worth but i see it's i think it is an interesting question um i think i I once heard tarantino respond to that i believe he was on the howard stern show in the 90s responding to some of the early criticism that he received for his use of that of Mm -hmm. those kind of uh that kind of language uh, which is even more kind of cringeworthy today but yes. at the same time it's a lot of it's the setting but the way he described and his response to that is when he writes a character he is essentially God to that character mm-hmm. and he will create them he will lead them through a life and then he will ultimately destroy them if he sees fit and I I can respect that from a writing perspective that when you're creating characters that's you know it you're creating the character to tell the story you're trying to take, or trying to, trying yeah. to tell. Um, having, I, I guess if Quentin Tarantino were an author of novels, I don't think people would really care as yeah. much. And that's just my guess. Um, the fact that you have well-known and well-liked actors and actresses speaking. Speaking these roles, I I have to wonder if that's where some of the outrage comes from, is we're very uncomfortable seeing characters, or seeing performers that we have enjoyed seeing characters that they've brought to the screen in previous films now say these really abhorrent, horrible things. Um, I think that that, that's where a lot of the discomfort comes in, because like I said, and and I could be wrong on this, I could be way off the mark, but I really feel like if he were writing novels, it'd be kind of like you know, Mark Twain. Not not comparing Quentin Tarantino to Mark Twain necessarily, but just saying it would be brought up like, yes, there's a lot of that language in this book. But the way he also, he uses it, I feel more in a way of getting you to kind of look at characters and you automatically kind of like them a little less when you hear them say that. At least I do. Yeah,
1: I, I would, I think so. I, I think it's a criticism that could be leveled at anybody. Like, is it necessary to, to bring in like, you know that specific term into like a, especially in scripts like uh, Jackie Brown etc. It it's, it's it's very prevalent, but it, I think it has a lot to do with setting and and about setting characters. Yeah. Um it's not how I would choose to write it, but I think he again is very informed more by the cinematic world than the real world, and I think he's basing that on characters out of movies out of the world of cinema more than he is, you know. Real life, so yeah. I don't know, like I, he doesn't get a free pass. I think it's a valid criticism. Mm-hmm. Um, I always have thought it was a somewhat valid criticism, but it also, I'm not gonna say that I'm, I'm not gonna damn him necessarily for it because I do think that characters are a tool to tell a story, and and sometimes you know,
0: well, painting I mean, believable I, characters I,
1: yeah. or, or or paint tainting the the way that people feel about a character, um, can. Could very quickly be, you know, decided by you know using something extreme like that. But I, I um, think
0: you know one of the biggest struggles I would I feel like when when creating characters is if you want your character to be somewhat believable. They can't be too streamlined and simple because people are not streamlined and simple. People are complex. The more you yeah. get to know somebody, the more complicated people are. Um, that's a hard thing to do with most forms of exposition. I feel in storytelling, well, especially, I mean, in if, if, because... especially in cinema, you don't have an internal monologue, right? You know, so let's take this scene as an example. You have Dennis Hopper's character, which up to this point, he's quite likable. He's a voice of reason. Mm-hmm. He's responsible. He, he appears to have fallen on some hard times, but he's doing okay. He's, he's content. and, He's he's kind of a likable character, and then you have this scene, this interaction with him and Christopher Walken, and now you start to see not necessarily a whole new side. His demeanor doesn't completely change. He's not all of a sudden now a different. He's not all of a sudden not like a a mean spirited person, but you're hearing him use language rather gratuitously that suggests, oh yeah, this guy's not as. not as cool as i thought he was he's not as sweet gentle old guy as i thought he was he's 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 got some shit he's got some issues he's uh yeah he's not perfect right you know not not trying to diminish the use of the language but it's a very unique and effective way of illustrating uh, character complexity without the use of an eternal monologue it's a really unique form of exposition i feel yeah, and I, I, we need to wrap
1: this up, so I'll be brief, but I think the crux of that scene actually comes down to... Um, I'm not sure I agree with your reading that, that necessarily... I think we know a lot of sh- bad shit about Dennis Hopper's character through Clarence's description of him and how he used to drink and how he wasn't around a lot. Yeah. And he's he's yeah. since cleaned himself up. So I think that characterizes him a bit. I'm not sure all the racist crap that comes out of his mouth is really a way to judge that character, because I think he's specifically trying to get... At a point in the scene... Dennis Hoppers, Mr. Whirley, I think it's Frank Whirley, I don't remember exactly. Um Cliff, yeah, Cliff, yeah. Cliff, Cliff, okay, yeah. sorry. Um I think he decides he's not getting out of this. Yeah. And I think oh, oh, absolutely. pretty much the, the you know, the the rant he goes on about Sicilians being, you know, ancestors of, of you know, the blacks or the Moors in Europe mm-hmm. um is specifically to offend the Don. Like, it is. It is. I I, I and I, I'm not saying that gets him off the hook for it, and obviously the kind of if that's just going to you know easily come out of your mouth in a jovial way, perhaps you're a person that's you know using yeah. those words in a jovial way before. However,
0: I don't think it damns his character because no, I think no, he's, no. he's specifically trying to. I would I guess I, you're right I guess in this situation it is more of a what can I say to really offend you I would say that his yeah. je, I, I guess I was meant that more in the general sense of his of the criticism about Tarantino's use of that language which he does quite a lot yeah. so it's something yeah. in a lot of his films and I think in you know um, even the the character he plays himself in Pulp Fiction which is where he gets a lot of flack for because it, it's like dude yeah. now you're the one saying it <laughs> well um, and also he plays like a suburban white dude So, (laughs) who's married to a black woman? So it's very, it's 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 complicated. It's complex, and it's it's like, right? Eh, It's it's it's, I don't know. There's there's a lot of I can see why, like you said, I can he doesn't get a free pass from it. I don't think. I think that is a valid criticism too. But I think it's um something worth investigating and thinking about a little bit more about like what what if what's the audience getting from this? Which is really how is it effective in what way? And I know personally for me, it's always made me kind of they're not are so sure about these characters
1: anymore when i think it works when it's dialogue that feels real then there are moments in the, his movies where i think some of the racist or like the slurs and stuff that come out are there to sound cool and i'm a little less okay with yeah this the latter so he, he's i'm gonna very leave it at that good. just because
0: yeah. we well no go, go ahead oh, i was a, just gonna say he's right. very good at playing with his audience with his characters even um uh, the commandant, or the, the the head SS officer that you see in the beginning of *Inglorious Bastards*, mm-hmm. Christoph Waltz's character—you you you like him, but he's horrible. He's this horrible, horrible Nazi. <laughs> oh my god! He's what you love that character. The, you you're, love you're giggling at them being just the worst people in the world, and yeah, it's... yeah. And so he's, he's 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 if nothing else, Tarantino was a master of creating these really memorable complicated characters and mm-hmm. uh, and i think this whole movie is full of characters like that and this one in particular it's kind of one of his more uh s- sweet films if we can say that despite you yeah. despite how violent I it is. he was inspired by um,
1: like asian romantic crime comics which i guess is a genre hmm. um so yeah i mean i think the romance it's not just part of the name it's certainly part of a the theme as well so um yeah so we're running way over time on this one so <laughs> i do have to apologize for putting you on the spot on that question i was really asking i was really no, trying i to kind of like get a, a does it feel dated because that's really where i was going with it is kind of it might be, it felt a little dated to me like the language just doesn't feel that cool anymore or it's not as funny or it's not as but in that scene i'm not sure that was more of a tarantino criticism in general like that scene in, in true romance i'm not sure ever was really played for cool or funny it's actually very effective so
0: yeah i i would i'd say so i mean i think that's something to consider even with the next film that we're going to talk about next week the the kind of second part of this um but for for this film uh, how would you uh, how would you rate it um letter grade wise i'm going to say b plus
1: it's almost as good as everything else tarantino has done um maybe better than a few of his directorial efforts uh, I feel like Tony Scott does a, a certainly a good job with it. It just is lacking a little bit of the like style punchiness that a uh, Quentin Tarantino movie will bring to you. but I, I'm gonna let Tony Scott off the hook for that, but I do miss it. So it's gonna I'm gonna knock it down to like a B B plus for that. Otherwise, I like it a lot. I think the cast is great. I think the characters are great um it's totally a tarantino movie when it comes down to what people are saying and how they're behaving and what they're doing and how the whole how the whole, whole thing ends up uh by the way it has a happy ending that tony scott wrote to the script that is not the way the original right. script ends by the way um not even going to
0: bother with it if you see the movie you could probably guess the, the difference so right um, i i think i probably i'm going to give this one an a um i, I really enjoyed revisiting this i i caught things i never caught before the story grabbed me a lot more this time than it did i first time i saw this was maybe 15 years ago Mm -hmm. and it it was enjoyable but kind of forgettable and this time it's it's a lot more memorable maybe it was just what i was you know how i was paying attention to it but and i think i was thinking about it for the last couple of days after i've seen it it's just like some scenes that just keep popping up and and the, the pacing the tone um and there was one review that I stumbled across, and I, I regrettably can't remember who said it or for what uh, what venue. But and I'm gonna not; it's not an exact quote. So for what it's worth, all this. Uh, essentially, they described it as bubblegum laced with cocaine. Oh yeah, I wrote that down. I saw that too. It was. Uh, I could tell you who
1: that was. It okay. Was um empire magazine wrote a top 100 best films ever this was like number 83 or something yeah i wrote down that quote bubblegum placed with
0: cocaine because i liked it and and that is yeah yeah there you go it's it's the equivalent of cocaine flavored bubblegum and that is so (laughs) spot on i think yeah it's um it's because it is a very the sweet parts are incredibly sweet Mm mm-hmm the, the chemistry between these two characters, the the two leads, is very realistic and very believable. You really like these characters. Uh, Kristen Slater, maybe a little bit less. I mean, he does have visions where he's talking to Val Kilmer, who thinks he's all this. Oh, man, we um, didn't get
1: into that. We'll have to revisit yeah. True Romance someday. I also like wrote like, a bunch of notes about how Alabama Worley, Patricia Arquette's character in here, is just kind of like the perfect screen depiction of, like, male fantasy, but in a way that doesn't make her, like, She's a she's a very like strong character all on her own, but I, I think she's a very male gaze type character if that makes yeah. any sense. But so yeah. we maybe we'll be a to continued on this to be continued yeah. someday. Oh, I'm sure it'll <laughs> get
0: brought up again. <laughs> so, yeah. but uh, so yeah, make sure you guys tune in next week for our second part where we're going to be talking about yet another really cool movie that uh, also very very popular that has uh the quentin tarantino thumbprint firmly ingrained yeah. in it and the next one we're going to do is probably was probably more
1: popular due to controversy than than even true romance well, oh certainly. certainly um and then after that if you uh in the coming weeks we we'll, we'll, we're actually you know uh working real hard to get our schedule put together through the rest of the year and the early part of next year right now i know for sure um we have coming down the pipeline is our vampires versus werewolves, a big vampire v. werewolf main main event, title bout, cage match, (laughs) whatever you want to call it. We're going to do a show basically not on specific movies, but on the concept of vampires and werewolves and kind of their legendary, um, or at least mythological background, and then also just, you know, we'll bring it into movies and talk about, you know, why do we have this kind of modern... Fascination with, you know, pitting them
0: against one another in, in right. films, usually with lots of bad CGI. Yeah, especially as of late. Um, but I, uh, so I guess, yeah, make sure you guys tune in next week. In the meantime, uh, what do you guys think of True Romance? Feel free to comment on Facebook or Twitter. Uh, we'd love to get comments from people. Do you have any, what What are your favorite scenes of this movie? Uh, we can also continue our conversation about what is kind of the meaning of Tarantino's kind of rather controversial language that's in a lot of his films. I think I'd, I'd love to hear other people's perspective on that in a respectful yeah. way. Um So uh, just kind of make sure, you know, we're all respecting each other's viewpoints on that one, too, because this is, again, a very controversial issue. So I want to just kind of put that out there, too. But, um, yeah, so make sure you guys tune in next week as we continue our conversation. This is Joe Peterson. And this is Eric O'Branson. Have a good one. This is the Video Junkyard Podcast, and we'll see you next week.
1: Listening to the Video Junkyard Podcast. I do wish
0: we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend.
1: For you just can't let them go.
0: Go. Stay on the road. Keep of the moors.
1: We want to take this opportunity to thank you for listening to the Video Junkyard Podcast, and remind you to find us on social media on Facebook at facebook.com/slash Video Junkyard Podcast on Twitter at Video Junk pod and on Instagram as Video Junkyard Podcast, all one word. Want to thank you again for listening and keep digging. Who knows what treasures you'll find in the Video Junkyard.